0: Sushi, I love Japan, my social life has hit the fan, all I have is anime, so I guess there's just one thing to say, Guru Gamesh, my life's a mess, my figure collection is racking up debt, my wife has left, my house is gone, time to get my butt to Sakura Kong, Guru Gumesh. Welcome to the Grugamesh podcast, the only in one place for anime discussion on the internet. Don't question that. I'm your host of the most mostly Jay, uh, joining me in this leap through time, my co-host Vikram, and uh, today we're t- taking a bit of a bit of a journey back to yesteryear, back to 2006. What a what a what a, what a premium year of, of anime fandom. LimeWire episodes of horror he would be downloaded at 240p over a three day period. The meme video this podcast is based on was launched with a bunch of weird people saying Mesh into a camera. It was a better time.
1: Of course it was a better time. Did you not remember the Mesh man?
0: Someday. Okay, so today we'll be covering the Mamoru Hosoda. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know where to go with that. <laughs> like, okay, look, it is my dream to get the the, the Mesh man on this show. No one has been able to track him down. For all we know, he's just in a cabin in Osaka somewhere. But it's my dream to interview that man and see where he's been for the past 20 years. But yeah, um, Gabe's going to be absent for the next couple episodes, so uh, we're taking on the weight of talking about earnest anime films, which is very difficult because we're two very cynical bastards. So today we'll be taking on Mamoru Hosoda's sort of original feature debut that...
1: Original? You want a, a feature uh, debut? Well, I don't think either of those things are true. Well, no. In it's, it's not original because it was adapted. Uh, and it's not, a fe- it's not debut
0: because his
1: debut was Digimon.
0: I'm just going to hand in my anime card and just walk <laughs> out the fucking room.
1: So it was
0: a feature done by Barbara Hosoda. It was just, well, every fucking classic sort of anime film that isn't for anime fans, that's for more people who say like Ghibli movies, is based on some obscure fucking European or cult novel that no one has ever read, or some shit. That's half of Ghibli's catalogue. Anyway, The Girl Who Left Through Time was a 2006 Madhouse animated film about a young girl who discovers she can leap back through time, and essentially kind of uses that to escape growing up. So... I have a lot of memories of this, this film in in particular. I, ha- I used to have like the the DVD that you'd see at every single CEX, every single sort of blockbuster that had like an anime section in it. I have a lot of sort of memories with this because this is one of those anime films that makes it on a lot of sort of British film magazine lists that don't really want to include anime, but they kind of include stuff that's sort of, for general audiences for family audiences so this film has always been in the back of my mind and in my zeitgeist if you will how about you because i know you're quite fond of some Hasoda films
1: i am i am very fond of his, uh, some of Hasoda's films because they because uh, the ones i've seen have been absolutely outstanding pieces of uh, w- filmmaking i know he always has he's always had like more of a following here in the west compared to uh, back in japan um but um to me it's tra- transparent white and I think to be honest with you, uh, at least as far as the other films I've seen of Hasodas versus this one seems to be most emblematic of why he has such a following. And we'll get into that more as the as the podcast progress progresses. Um so yeah, those the so I love it. And funnily enough, I don't think I'd actually seen Girl Who Left Through Time until we watched it for this very hmm. podcast but I've known about it. It's been
0: on my watch list for a... It's been a decade since I've seen this film. And it was... I mean, I, I watched this on a trip with dub titles and shit Apple headphones that you used to have. And I still enjoyed it then. But this was this was a trip back from mem- memory lane. And goddamn, it's going to be hard to make jokes during this because this is just a, f- a fun, nice film about the tribulations of growing up in Japan. Yeah,
1: um... Uh- Yeah, like I said, uh, Hasoda... In fact, generally, now that I think about it, Hasoda himself is generally a very earnest filmmaker Mm. in terms of what he makes.
0: Um, And also an earnest human being, because a lot of people well, I say a lot of people, marketing for anime Blu-rays wanted to call him the next Miyazaki, but when you look at them both, Hosoda is someone who believes in the power of youth, and Hayao Miyazaki just want to, wants to throw himself in front of a fucking bus whenever he gives an interview. There
1: are a lot of criticism I have of Hayao Miyazaki. The fact that he wants to throw himself in front of a bus too makes me just like him so much more. Okay, I love that guy. for that well, exactly. as, much, as much as
0: you make that joke, I didn't think you liked this as much as you did, because you're a, a naturally cynical person by nature, which is something you revel in. Yeah. And also in terms of your anime preference, we make fun of this on the show. The fact that you're in compared to me and Gabe, you're nowhere near as engrossed in the anime zeitgeist. And in particular, when any anime, anime tries to do earnest or schmaltzy, if you want to be a little more sort of poppy with that, it's not, you struggle with that, or at least you have sort of talked to me about struggling with that in the past.
1: Basically cutesy stuff is not my thing. Fantasy stuff is more okay, but it's still iffy. Well,
0: we'll get into that because something I've sort of... You have your thesis about Mamoru Hosoda, and I actually kind of have mine. Yeah. Where he and other filmmakers we'll get to, who rose to prominence during this era, kind of had this sort of winning formula, which was to take a slice of life stories that were Japanese at heart, but could also be used to a an international audience without much adaptation, if any. Yes. But they would always be sort of, you know, riding, balancing on the tippy top of a loose, soft sci fi or fantasy premise. Never committing to the technicalities of that, but using it just as a semblance of whimsy. And I think That ideology's on full display here.
1: Absolutely. And just to be clear to the audience, when Jay was talking about how I wasn't engrossed in some parts, the thing I hate most in anime is
0: slice of life crap. It's just not for you because you're someone who likes consistent story beats and slice of life is kind of the the antithesis of that because it aims to be Comfy in a in a sort of a non-conventional way, but the inner screenwriter in you is just furious at the fact that exists. Yeah,
1: and like, <laughs> I, I, listen, I can take inconsistencies. That's fine, but just make something explode. Um, just make something <laughs> wild. Make something weird happen, or challenge my like understanding and shit with what you're looking at. And most slice of life. Look,
0: man, all those gunfight scenes in K-On! Season Three are gonna be lit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Look, I just want more than what uh, most lives of life give me
0: which is fair so getting into this film this is technically like a pseudo sequel to an original novel of the same name uh, written by uh, Yasutaka uh, Susi yeah, Yasutaka Susi and, and there have been like five other adaptations yeah there's been five other adaptations we also whenever you and I discover that we don't have to read other supplementary material we sort of we universally high-five. Oh. Because <laughs> you try to... you In our Perfect Blue episode, uh, you can go back and listen to that, you try to read some of the novel, and it was down to line, and you were like, I can't do this, I can't do this. So as soon as we discovered, oh, the book has nothing to do with the film, we shouted, Yes! No more work for us! We just threw it away. The only reason I went back to the book at all is
1: just because uh, after, after I realized, like, oh, we don't have to, mm. um, is because I wanted to see if... Um, how the scenes were depicted in the book. So some of the scenes, mm-hmm. how some of the more egregious scenes were depicted in the book, uh, versus how they were in the film. And ironically, despite Perfect Blue being so raw and like so the fucking
0: opposite of this film in every single way.
1: Yeah. Uh. The opposite of this film. Yeah. Exactly. Um. The book, at least, of Perfect blue was more gratuitous, but it somehow less dove death. the edge.
0: yeah, it made it less shocking, mm-hmm. weirdly enough. so I think a lot of speaking of that, what were your initial impressions when sort of coming out of this with this recent rewatch? because for me, this very much this is an interesting film in the sense of when it was made. I think this this is gonna sound funny, but if you just go with me for a few seconds, this is a very two thousand and six anime film, and what I mean by that is it has a lot of sort of slice-of-life anime conventions that were used in a filmic way. Like, Mamoru Hosoda comes from an anime TV background. Like, before this, he was working on very famous franchises like Digimon. Uh, he did, like, a One Piece film in 2005 before he did this, with a very distinct style. So he actually kind of knew how to sort of balance cartoonish overreactions with sort of more weighty, more realistic, quote-unquote, character acting. And that's kind of on full display for a lot of this movie, sort of zip-zapping between those two uh, polar opposite binaries of emotion very well because of the simplistic style. Like the character designs by legendary Gainax member Yoshiyuki Sadamoto, who was the Evangelion character designer, Gunbuster character designer, um, the FL Seal character. I'm amazed they got this guy, considering this wasn't a very high-profile film when it first came out. It did well but it wasn't something that was super-duper hyped up. But it's sort of, it's using slice-of-life conventions in a very sort of, quote-unquote, acceptable manner.
1: Yeah, and I just want to interrupt you there, because I saw some motherfuckers on the fucking forums, and even on YouTube...
0: What a 2006 sentence. No,
1: not 2006. We're talking the last five years. These motherfuckers said the character designs were okay to bad. OK, you guys don't understand character design. OK, they specifically <laughs> did things in, like they gave little touches and details in a fucking school uniform that had to be sort of transparent. But they still made the characters seem distinctive. And that is a massive achievement. Yeah. Uh, I don't deny they look plain, but it was that's the challenge
0: of the product. Uh- yes, that's kind of the point. Like, when we... This feels very authentic to 2006 Japan. Like, a lot of when we think of Japanese high school, we stereotypically think of, like, the Sailor Fuku uniforms and stuff like that. But the truth be told, Japan has been facing that shit out for decades. Like, most Japanese high schools will use regular school uniforms. It's mainly more middle schools that use sort of, like, the traditional sort of naval kind of time type uniforms. And even that is slowly just being kicked to the waveside yeah. because, you know... Um, modernity is catching up with tradition. But my sort of point to sort of wrap it off before we go into sort of plot points and uh, animation points is that in this this year, the, le- the, the the glorious year of 2006, this film is a prelude to a huge slice of life boom that would take place. So in this year, this is the same year as the anime of Haruki Suzumiya, which was sort of like a an off the wall comedy with sci-fi elements, but mostly kind of was just about teenagers mucking around in a school with a very bratty girl who's secretly god of the universe anime and but this would sort of kickstart a trend of slice of life anime shows of quite high production values soon after uh, Haruhi lucky star would come out and made Haruhi an even bigger deal and was a massive cultural phenomenon in the early days of 2000s internet culture later on kaon would come and sort of prove that you could make a successful anime Kind of just with girls fucking around being genuine and sweet in their just regular Kyoto high school. Look forward to our k episode when Gabe decides to st- stop being busy every moment of his goddamn life. But this feels like a, a very pure time capsule of that specific era. And it felt very warm and nostalgic despite the fact I didn't live in Japan in 2006.
1: Yeah, um, I think it's to do with the colour palette that they chose. Mm. It's a very summery colour palette. But it's also a bit reserved in
0: some scenes.
1: Well, no, that's exactly it. It feels summery, but it doesn't feel um, like fantasy summery. No,
0: it's not overly vibrant.
1: Yeah, it's almost down to earth. Like, this is the best of a real world summer. Um, Like, this is a good summer day for Mm. you. And it... It feels so nice. It's like an amazing summer movie. Um, I don't know about Jay, but I actually managed to watch this on a a sunny day and it did help. um, But sadly, I'm in Britain, so we have like four of those a year.
0: Yeah. Imagine if this was set in England. Yeah. (laughs) Just the the sort of uh, melodramatic piano score is just going absolutely ham. As just someone in like a London school uniform is just waiting for like a double decker bus, the subway's late, someone's, you know, a homeless man is hollering the corner. <laughs> now I w now no,
1: why?
0: Yeah, now now I now I want the girl who leapt through Thameslade. <laughs> the girl who leapt through Trafford Park. There we go. <laughs> that's a that's a that's a local reference for you all. But no, um speaking the of the girl that, who leapt through Oxford Circus <laughs> <laughs> or, in this case, the girl who stood very frustrated because the trains were delayed again.
1: <laughs> yes!
0: God, <laughs> um, oh, this is almost British episode to date. Yes, and
1: ironically, this is about a anime solidly in Japan. <laughs> about Japanese uh, school life. Uh, but, yeah, anyway, uh-huh. sorry.
0: So, um, yeah, so we're going to get to characters soon, but the Kiyoshi Yoshida OST... Now, I looked this guy up. He hasn't done a lot of stuff. He has about sort of like, I'd say about nine credits to his name. Just I'm browsing his anime's news network page. Yeah. But a lot of this kind of stuff uses a lot of sort of piano motifs and a lot of stuff you would come to expect with films from a and future filmmakers like Makoto Shinkai, who we will absolutely get to in this episode.
1: I want to get to this myself because we both made this mistake when mm. we thought, oh yeah, the, the score's good. It's just... We didn't think it was
0: exceptional.
1: Yeah, we didn't think it was exceptional. We were like, oh, yeah, they also clearly used this, like, classical composer piece. Mm -hmm. But this is where we made the overlap, the overstep. Luckily, we took a step back and actually looked into it more. Mm -hmm. And this is where I ended up coming in and actually doing some research. Uh, Shout out to, I think, Cell Shaded um, Music Theory on YouTube because he's done a great long 15-minute piece on this. Fair enough. But basically um the idea so there's a piece that runs through the film that actually sort of corresponds and aligns with whenever um makoto jumps through time yes which is um box goldberg mm-hmm. uh G- G- goldberg variations
0: can't believe this is the second time we're talking about classical composers on the podcast and the first time was fucking digimon <laughs>
1: <laughs> but So, But here it really means something. Like, they picked it on purpose. And not only did they pick it on purpose, Hosoda himself said it was actually an inspiration for the movie. Um, So some of the plot mechanics were actually, in part, inspired by... I'm going to use that loosely because, Mm -hmm. at least from the quote I saw, it's not fully understood what he meant, but there's definitely some inspiration from this piece in itself. And the simple idea behind the piece is that he takes one piece, it's an aria, which is uh, supposed to be like a small piece of music um, that's usually, well, in an opera, it's only sung by one person.
0: Okay.
1: Um, But uh, in this, it's a piano. So it's done by one person or an instrument. uh, So it's done by one uh, one instrument. Except in the Goldberg Variations, he explores it by changing the notes and chords that are played but trying to keep the same form of the aria okay. and they completely holds he change and transmorphs it into all the different variations he feels are possible to still keep the same we'll say thematic root of the actual uh of the actual piece but allowing it to change its feeling and its general uh, vibe we'll say and the entire piece i believe if you listen to it all it's somewhere between like 45 minutes and like an hour or something to hear it played fully. But here in this, uh, in this, uh, in the movie, they play it while she's going through time, but they don't play the same part. They'll play the first aria and then they'll play the second time she jumps through, uh, she goes through time, the second aria, but then the third time she'll jump to the fourth and then it will
0: jump to the 12th. Okay, so actually playing with chronology within the musical score as the film is going backwards and forwards through time.
1: Yeah, but it also mirrors the film really well in the sense that little changes manage to actually correspond with the little changes that are happening in the real world. So it's the almost the same idea of the butterfly effect, but just within the movie in itself. And that is amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so it's so clever how they incorporated it. And they also managed to keep make sure that the tempo was the same. So if there was a more frantic or energetic scene, they made sure to pair that with a frantic and energetic aria, etc., etc. et, cetera, et cetera. And they managed to make the music diegetic as well because there is a student who's actually practicing yes. the aria. There's a,
0: there's a lot of sort of repeating shots in this film of students kind of just going about their day throughout the school. And it's very effective to kind of just give this small Japanese sort of city just a, a bit of life yeah and it's, it's it's really effective and sort of getting to characters it's mainly just a it's mainly it's mainly Makoto's story with Chiaki kind of coming in as a sort of deuteragonist later on in the third act but is I want to sort of get into the main story of this film which is once Makoto accidentally learns to time jump after having sort of like somewhat of a a, a shitty day. Her entire thesis is kind of circumventing growing up to sort of relive the same simple pleasures in life over and over again. What does she do with time travel powers? She goes to a karaoke bar and sings for four hours, no only having to pay the price of one. Uh, She sort of avoids getting embarrassed in school during cooking class. She, you know, knows all the answers to the test she fails. It's very sort of mundane stuff. There there are only a select amount of time travel stories that films in particular try and do, and it's usually either sort of being stuck in either a time loop, trying to figure out how to get out of it, kind of dealing with very sort of personal time travel shenanigans usually relating to someone you know, or like a family member, or it's like we accidentally tripped over Emmeline Pankhurst's ghost. Now the Nazis are dinosaurs. Run, Rose! Da Also, yeah, yeah. oh, the Daleks are involved. We have a no union contract for 17 more seasons.
1: Oh, based! The Daleks are fucking, uh, fucking anarcho socialists. Oh, what legends! They've got a union and everything! What
0: heroes! We are non binary war machines. We hate everyone equally.
1: We are all brandishing the Communist Manifesto. Heroes, definitely. <laughs> Listen, uh, I can get behind those Daleks. that's alright.
0: This is the mo- this is the most British episode of the podcast so far, and we're doing a time travel film. How could I not make a doctor who reference? <laughs> Look, expect wow. more of those when we get to Stein's Gate, but Of uh, <laughs> course. Cool. Uh no, and this is this this falls into sort of a very uh, infer- well, a sort of intimate form of, of time travel story where it very much is, it's never explained how she can do this. In fact, I had just have in my notes where Makoto's aunt gives the most nonchalant oh yeah, you can time jump explanation I've seen in fiction and then everyone just goes with it. There's no questions.
1: Yes. Oh my God, yes.
0: Uh- and that's not a positive or a
1: negative. Actually, there is one of them. There is the time walnut. There's yes. that as well.
0: <laughs> Let's do like the time, time. nut again. Yes.
1: It, it, it literally looks like an unbroken walnut. Yeah. Like the walnut in a shell.
0: I mean, look, maybe we've just solved carbon emissions so to such a degree in the future that everything is organic. Maybe. Do you know what? Be- just a second. We'll be back, everyone. So now we know our house hasn't been broken into impromptuly. Uh, Vic, what did you want to talk about?
1: Um, yeah, so you were mentioning the story structure, and I actually thought it would be a good time to talk about the fact that, actually, this seems to be a running theme with Hasoda films, the idea of learning to grow up, um... Cause we both saw his film twenty nineteen. The name escapes me. What was the name of the film? Uh, did we see Bell? No, no, no. Oh, oh, we saw Mirai. Yeah. Yes, that's it. That's the one I'm talking about. So Mirai, where he shows his uh, shows children like acclimatizing with each other, yes. siblings acclimatizing with each other, and essentially trying to grow up.
0: I've got a key quote from that, actually, from a Hosoto inter- interview where he says, in fact, when making the film, I was not thinking of my own school days. I am very fond of young people and want to do something to encourage young people. I want them to look forward and feel positive about their lives. And that's kind of key, considering quite often in sort of interviews, a lot of Japanese directors will be like, oh, the young people don't appreciate hard work like they used to. I'm a Japanese director of Japanese animation. I don't know why I do various British dialogues whenever yeah. whenever I do. I just find, you know what? Look, the alternate is way more racist, so I'm just gonna stick yeah, with this. I was this.
1: gonna say. To be honest with you, I kind of like it. It's it's way funnier. It gives it character without being racist. I kind of I feel
0: it. Um, uh, but no, um, it's actually very encouraging considering Japanese youth are kind of in a very turbulent. I mean, granted, this quote was from 2006, but I'm getting to this sooner than I planned. But I might as well just kind of run with this theme. The reason that these themes about not wanting to sort of grow up and wanting to have some consistency in your life is way more home hitting for Japanese audiences because high school is a much bigger deal there than it is here. And by here, I mean, America slash Western uh, European countries, because there's there's some there's there's some discrepancies between what is middle school and what we call secondary school, etc. It doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter. yeah. Yeah. So. Japanese high school is kind of considered culturally like as, as a last hurrah. Like a lot of people kind of do spend a lot of their free time goofing around or like having just time to sort of pursue other things because a lot of, depending on regions in Japan, certain amount of schooling is optional. So a lot of Japanese kids who graduate from high school will kind of just go straight into the workforce and that will kind of just be relentless because with Japanese collectivism, One of the biggest issues is people just giving all of their lives to their job and not really having sort of any work life balance, so to speak. Like, college is. I was under the impression that college was like even more sort of revered and stressful, but depending on what you're doing, Japanese colleges will kind of just not care if you show up in in some sort of provinces. Really? Yeah, yeah. So I did a little, teensy tiny bit of research. I'd be be very happy to be correct in this, but in some provinces in Japan, like, you kind of just get credits for showing up in oh. some... Like, granted, this 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 wouldn't be, like, a pristine medical school. Or, like, you know, some, say if you wanted to be a doctor or a lawyer. Like, you've got to take that shit fucking seriously. But say if it was something that was a little more, sort of, less desirable, Japanese college seems kind of just... It seems less culturally important than Japanese high school, which is why so many pieces of anime fiction and manga fiction and light novel fiction center around high school because it's a very important time in a Japanese person's life. And with Makoto being 17 going on 18, part of the movie, she's sort of, you know, deciding what she's going to do for a university course, which kind of is a, it's a way more important thing in Japan because that kind of sets you on your direction for the next five to 10 years. So it makes sense that she would want to sort of be stuck in this time where she doesn't want to choose to have a boyfriend. She doesn't want to choose where she wants to work and such. She just kind of wants to be a 17-year-old who likes to play baseball and just have hobbies.
1: That sounds really interesting. I was actually just going to talk about the fact that A, her Soda films all seem to have... uh, Well, many of them seem to have this through line uh, that he's now visited quite a few times Mm. of either rejection of your current place and not, or not wanting to grow up or not willing to fully, like...
0: Found family and bloodline family is also a big theme for a lot of his works. Oh, like, yeah. Summer Wars, Boy and the Beast, Wolf Children.
1: Yeah, all those movies all have that through line. So it's like, yeah, it's showing up again. Um, And the other thing I was wanting to point out, and I think Jay has seen it in my notes, uh, because, yes, we do notes for this show. Yeah, it's um, exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it's that when I watch Hasoda H- H- films, it's very clear to me, in the same way that Miyazaki first storyboards his movies, yes. cobbles together a plot from the aftermath, um, it's clear to me that it seems like Hasoda H- creates his characters first. Mm. The absolute personality on display is amazing. The fact that Makoto can be an obnoxious, <laughs> whiny, little annoyance. And I s- and she has the most irritating cry in the world.
0: But here's the
1: thing: she's a Japanese high schooler, because so of course she would. But guess what? I still don't hate her. <laughs> that's amazing. So
0: that's your cynicism coming in. I like Makoto just fine. But like, think about when you were seventeen.
1: No, no, no. But that's that's what I think is the genius that's of the, the writing yeah. on display. They can be assholish and they can be obnoxious and irritating, and I still like them. I still love watching the th- Chiaki, uh Makoto, and uh, Kosuke. Um, I can't remember now. Oh God, what was his name? I
0: think it was Kosuke.
1: Kosuke, thank you. I love watching the three of them interact. It's a
0: great dynamic, just with them just mucking around, playing baseball in the opening. It's a, it's it's a very sort of it's a very relaxed cold open. Just three teenagers. This, that cold open, despite how relaxed it looks, is some of the tightest oh no I'm aware I'm aware it sort of kind of sets up the rest of the themes for the movie not only the rest of the themes all the basic oh absolutely Makoto always being late always rushing around her behavior uh, the bikes the bike breaks. I think get set yes. up can we just talk about that motherfucking train sequence like this is a relatively fluffy sort of interpersonal drama like if this wasn't animated this would be a, an indie darling in yes. American cinema but there's a very r- brutally realistically animated bike crash scene where Makoto, because of the brakes on, uh, because she, no, it's not the brakes on her bike. Um, She's sprinting down sort of a 90 degree um hill and she just tumbles. And because of her speed, she's bruised and battered and bloody. And it's really realistically drawn and rendered, which is such a, a whiplash tonally and and emotionally to the rest of this film as kosuke and his pseudo love interest are about to be hit by a train
1: yeah oh my god but the thing is they tie everything together seamlessly Mm. because a that's the same road makoto drives down now all the time she has since the start Mm. of the movie it's the same type of fall that uh, Kosuke and his pseudo love interest have mm. is the same type of fall that she experienced toward yeah. the start of the movie when she first time jumps.
0: And the fact like, that the the time tattoos, the tattoos she gets every time she jumps and the number slowly goes down. That's, yeah. That's, like, that's, a, that's a good plot it,
1: point. It's just, uh, yeah, and you're right. I think it's the first time in the movie we see blood, yeah, to be honest. Yeah, the only and time. It definitely pays off in terms of how effective it seems it's like wow
0: that's a it's because this this film has no content that you wouldn't be comfortable showing anyone and it still technically doesn't but it is like oh yeah this isn't a children's film despite the fact there's nothing really graphic about it it's a family film i'd say but it very much does touch on a lot of emotional beats that will resonate with you if you're past puberty i think if you're looking about uh, past at that as sort of in a retrospective manner
1: think you could show this to a seven-year-old and it'd still... No, yeah, yeah, absolutely, but I think it would hit you
0: harder if you're older.
1: Yeah, you know what? I'll give you that. I'll give you that. It definitely hits harder, but I'd say that ha- uh, that applies to most media. I don't think that...
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just... Well, the, uh, sort of let me explain myself. It's yep. because of how this film is often marketed, because as we sort of said at the beginning, Mamoru Hosoda is one of a select few anime filmmakers that when sort of film fans in, say, Britain, for instance, or um, some sections of America will be happy to sort of say they're fans of these people without sort of going, ew, anime, or in our country, ew, oh, Japanimation. Aww. Oh! My
1: god, which pompous <laughs> cats are actually watching animation that sound like that?
0: Jeffrey, pass me some diamonds. We shall throw them at the urchins whilst watching Perfect Blue on our Betamax tapes. Yes, darling! <laughs> Oh, I'm, I love I love these characters I've made up. They're gonna show up again oh <laughs> at my, some point.
1: What is? What are these? I mean, look, don't get me wrong. I'm kind of into it too. But like, who are these characters? I
0: don't I don't know. I'll f- a maybe- very
1: specific group of people who won't buy
0: Blu-rays,
1: oh, but God. they will get the beta mat?
0: Yeah, well, look, well, we're going to see them a lot. Oh, no, we've been hit by a Tokyo train and we've died. Oh, no, I guess we're never going to see them again. <laughs> what, 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 a, what a tragic shame. What com- comedic potential I had with two random unnamed Eton students who sounded like 50-year-old men from the 1780s. <laughs> okay, so getting back on the rails, A.O kind of just kind of looking with Hosoda and the portrayal of Makoto in comparison to her aunt, who is the protagonist of the movie, where he said that Makoto is 17 years old and sometimes she acts young and sometimes she's an adult. It's not that she's all that special. We have some adult and some child in us. In order to give the character the emotional depth required, we had to make the design very simple. In Japan nowadays, it's become very popular to make faces very decorative and complicated, it becomes hard to manipulate. There are too many surfaces. With a simple design, you can move the face and create expressions that can communicate with the audience. And tying back to Sodomoto's character designs, that's very well implemented in this, especially in this era where anime's been on digital for a good, like, six or so years. And one of the biggest issues that was coming across is kind of drawing very detailed characters, been realizing, oh, we can move them precisely five frames before we all get burnt out and want to go home. Exactly.
1: Um, I think a big issue that, um, we'll say, um, anime, well, okay, we'll say filmmakers don't understand when they're producing, when they're taking anime from anime to films, or when somebody tries to take a film or a film-ish idea and and then turn it it to uh, anime. Yeah. The thing that they don't understand is that often, uh, for humans at least, in the real world, yes, this might be a shocker for some of you, but the face is very emotive. If you do a close-up
0: on a face, it doesn't take a lot of movement on the actor's part. It's why when we talk about... We'll get into this next episode because we're going to be covering a Studio Ghibli month for oh, the entirety of June. But when we cover a lot of those dubs, which we'll be, we'll be forced to because they're a big sort of cultural meaning considering how much they mean to English-speaking audiences, the difficulty that actors... Come across when they're not voice actors, is they're so used to using their body language and face that then when they try to sort of dub anime in particular, where there's no uh, you have to match voice flaps as well as do voice acting, that's where the difficulty comes in actually kind of not being able to use their faces. And that's how valuable that is in when in animation. So if you have a hyper-realistic face, but you can't move it for shit, what the hell are you doing? Exactly.
1: And understanding the advantages and disadvantages of your medium are incredibly important. And I feel like, although anime directors have really gotten the design down mm. to make it spectacular, they've forgotten about movement. And it means that a lot of the the anime you see today... Are sadly less dynamic than they could be. Um and that's 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 sad, but I'd like to see more. And I think that's the one thing that uh a Girl Who Left Through Time does do in scenes. You can see Makoto's face do the weird, wide, like either not- oh, Absolutely,
0: like-, like a lot of the um we mentioned it earlier, but uh Mamoru Hosoda works on a one-piece film and a lot of character designs and sort of animation quirks in that film, especially with how expressive all the One Piece characters are. I see a lot of that Yeah. in, in this. Uh, like, some animation directors have, like, certain quirks. Like, for instance, with Hayao Miyazaki, uh, quite often a lot of his heroines have a thing where their hair furls up whenever they're irritated or stressed. Mamoru Hosoda... Has a thing that often his characters will sort of puff out their faces. Their nostrils will be very flared, where they're just two dots in sort of a manner of fr- frustration or shock, and that's that's a signature face in a lot of his his films.
1: I mean, yeah, that's he he definitely has a preferred style. We'll say that. Mm. Uh, but I think um, the great thing, going back to the girl who Left through time, more specifically, is that the simplified faces allow for more dynamic facial expressions, yeah. and they fucking take advantage. That's the key part. Mm. It's not just that they have the simple science, they take advantage
0: of it. Yeah, fucked forum individuals from five years ago that Vic came across this afternoon. Yes. Talking about something that I'd, I'd, I've kind of, kind of been holding on to, there's another filmmaker that came to prominence during a, a similar times in the late 2000s using very similar premises with romance in particular, and very loose sci- science fiction or fantasy settings, and that's Makoto Shinkai. Do you really want to go down this road? I'm going down this road a little bit. I'm only sort of stepping a few a few baby steps down it. I'm not going to go sort of too in-depth. But what I think is really interesting is the fact that Makoto Shinkai and Mamoru Hosoda kind of do very similar narratives, especially when focusing on young people discovering their lives but the key difference is that momura hosoda very much kind of just has his character dynamics down into woven where it seems that shinkai has a, a sort of thing for a very particular type of love story romantic love story in particular and hosoda can do stories about all sorts of different types of love but Shinkai is very much reserved with the one type of love that he's able to express, which is usually teenage boy meets teenage girl. They're separated by some mystical force that keeps them apart, and then some sort of revolution- resolution is found, and you can kind of boil every single one of his works down to that. I just find it's quite interesting that both of these directors came, kind of came to prominence in equal time frames. That's very interesting in this period of animation.
1: Uh, I want to be fair, Shinkai...
0: Um, that's the first we've, we've chatted on him for a lot of this show. uh, (laughs) I just want to state now, we don't hate Makoto Shinkai's work. It's just, it's very unlikely you'll see a Your Name episode from us anytime soon because we would have nothing to say about it.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's visually well done, uh, I guess. Uh, The lighting, I think
0: you had a problem with. Everything looks like the J.J. Abrams Star Trek filter was turned up to 13. And I feel like I need a fucking Specsavers yeah. prescription every time I watch um, a Shinkai film. Yeah. Anyway, we're getting yeah. off topic.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say, I think it's, if it we're being a bit fair to Shinkai, we'll call it pseudo romantic.
0: Yeah, there we go. That's a very good phrase. So what, speaking of romance, this does have like a, a sort of romantic element of it. Where it's not direct, but it's sort of Makoto making a decision, does she want a friend or a boyfriend? So, this is where it comes into, and this is where we both like this film, but for you particularly, there's a reveal in the third act that kind of changes a lot of the dynamics, where Makoto's childhood friend, Chiaki, who has kind of openly expressed sort of an attraction to her, is from the future and was the person who originally had the time leak technology. Now... We keep saying soft sci-fi and fantasy, and the reason that is that these we never see the world that Chiaki comes from, and that's kind of... I don't think Mamoru Hosoda has an interest in that type of okay. science fiction or fantasy. So my question to you, Vic, is what did you think of the third act?
1: Okay, so Jay knows all too well why <laughs> why I don't like the third act, but I don't hate the third act. I re- Okay, let me clarify. I really love the whole movie. I think there's a huge problem in the third act. I don't know how you would resolve it, but the way they did resolve it leaves it as a giant mess. Uh, It is... I ex- expressed to Jade that I still love it, but it's a golden
0: retriever in a pile of mud. <laughs> I love this metaphor so much. Uh,
1: like, I still love it, but it is
0: very but good. But you've got to clean that shit afterwards, and I don't care how cute you are. You're going to get that all over the carpet. Yeah, exactly. Like, it doesn't, like, it. nothing follows. It doesn't make sense. Um, it's think- very much riding on that emotional resonance high. Exactly. If you- the- theme and the characters is what it's running Quite on. Quite often, we've had this discussion many times off mic, where there will be times where everyone has to sort of make a decision in a story, either whether you're creating it or whether you're consuming it, if you are part of one of two teams. Team Logical Consistency or Team Emotional Resonance. Now, they're not always mutually exclusive, but there will be moments in a lot of stories where you have to decide, am I willing to go with this piece of fiction's emotions or am, or will the logical inconsistencies be too much for me to be taken out of this moment
1: yeah and i think luckily it's a soft enough sci-fi film that i think you can just issue the logical part and just keep going which is why i feel, still think the film is fantastic my big problem um and i think it cut, is downstream of the fact that hasoda clearly is the type of person that makes the characters and the character dynamics burst. yes um and it's downstream of that problem So he's created this resonance and emotional consistency and just amazingly rich friend friend group. And downstream of that, in part, they have this time travel conflict. And in the third act, it's revealed that Chiaki gave up his final time jump thing.
0: so His time nut. His t- yeah, he wasted his time nut. Yeah, I was gonna say, I was gonna say, you know, come on guys, you 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 know you can only time nut once a day.
1: Exactly, yeah. <laughs> you have only got so many nuts in you, all right. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, he wastes. his... Uh, sorry, waste. He uses his final one when Makoto is left bleeding and screaming and crying on the street mm. because she didn't want. Um, Fuck, I've forgotten his name again.
0: Kosuke to get fucking pancaked.
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah, we didn't he didn't want Kosuke becoming a flapjack. So we so he reversed time for Makoto. Mm. And then it looks cool as hell, yep. but something weird happens. Which is
0: they then enter a place where it looks like it's a busy crossing way. I love this sequence visually. The oh, it's yeah. it's it's a time distortion, like time breaks essentially. It's sort of I'm going to hate that I say this because I'm going to praise something I usually make fun of. It's kind of like that scene in the end of Evangelion where it's just Hideyuki Ano with his fucking camcorder just filming a bunch of random bits of Tokyo. <laughs> yeah, uh,
1: so, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like that. Except everyone's still. Yes. So, um, like, it's this amazing bit of theming uh, reflecting, like, oh, the nature of, like, people and how time is a moment and it'll slip you by if you don't properly grab it or like you know all the other themes that are going on throughout the film like how they are to each other and shiaki just basically
0: vomits exposition yeah and it's not terrible because of the soft sci-fi it's not like the year is fifty fifty seven. the bleed blobs and the galoogalas have a great time space hyper war i was sent back in time to procure this nft of this monkey so that I, you- I wish
1: it was that i wish it was that it was actually slightly sillier um i only say slightly no I, it wasn't as silly sorry let me uh, sorry it's not all right
0: as catch f- a breath dude catch a breath
1: um, fuck me um his actual motivation was he wanted to see a
0: picture. Yeah, you could tell this was made before Japan acknowledged the internet existed.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <It's> like,
0: <laughs> I know there's technically a different experience to seeing a portrait. Oh, no, like like we said, it's, it's it's emotional resonance. It's the theme of like, you know, it's it's art and capturing something in the moment and it works thematically yeah. for that. But he's from a future where you can time travel. You know not thing that, you know... D- but stop. they
1: can't save a painting, bro! <laughs> <laughs> OR HE COULDN'T GO BACK TO THE TIME WHERE THEY HAD THE- WE
0: DESTROYED THEM ALL IN THE WAR. IT WAS THE ONLY WAY TO STOP THE OIL TRADE. Yeah. I don't- I don't mean the stuff that comes from the ground. I mean- I mean the pigments. Yeah.
1: And look- (laughs) Companies
0: kept buying the rights to specific colours. I'm just imagining now. I'm now imagining a a girl who left for a time, but it's Dune. (laughs) And instead of the spice, it's paintings.
1: (laughs) Oh my my god. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but by the way there's also Calvin Klein blue. There are many colors that are actually <laughs> actually copyrighted.
0: I opened a Pandora's box here by just you doing did. just doing a silly little joke. I don't know how much of this is going to be in the actual episode. But anyway, I think we'll wrap this up. No, we will not. <sighs> oh, Jesus fucking Christ, what have you got?
1: Okay, I'm just going to say it. Basically nothing follows in terms of the third act, right? Chiaki says he can't go back ever again. And then like he has to leave Makoto forever and that he has to go. And then somehow he's back again. Uh, Honestly, I checked out the plot by this point because clearly it stopped giving a shit. So (laughs) I I did too.
0: It's all worth it for that final classic anime. They don't kiss, but they hold each other in a weird intimate way. Yeah. um, (laughs) Honestly, I'm, I'm actually kind of happy with the positive ambiguous ending. Me too. Very and- sweet in sort of a very sort of genuine, earnest way.
1: And it's the time is circular meme. Actually, yeah, it is. It's Basically, Makoto promises to preserve the picture for mm. Chiaki in his future, which is technically the job of his aunt.
0: Oh, dear God, are you going to get into fucking YouTube theories? Because I swear.
1: No, to be honest with you, I don't think it's a YouTube theory. I think it's a solid... Like, they have a picture, they purposefully cut to a picture of the aunt in her youth with two male friends while she's talking to Makoto about, oh yeah, uh, that sort of thing's normal. And that sh- her job yeah, is basically the, the thing Makoto That's had.
0: because she's the protagonist of the book that this is a pseudo-sequel to. Either way, I don't put, put any stock in this whatsoever. I think time is circular, and I think it's a good meme. Look, time time is wibbly wobbly and timey wimey. We've already established this. Oh, of course, no, that's true. But you can have a wibbly wobbly timey wimey circle. The simulation
1: is collapsing. Alert! Alert! Plot device detected. <laughs> okay, yeah. Now let's le- now let's end this. So, so
0: yeah, this was a really interesting. I mean, how Hasoda is still going strong to this day. Bell made waves. Uh, at this, I mean, you know, people like Mark Komode have always championed Mamoru Hosoda, and I think that this kind of this film is sort of a very humble start to just an alternative that kind of provided another people a slice of life filmic anime works that didn't just have to be Hayao Miyazaki. And I think, like, I I saw so many Manga Entertainment DVDs of this in all of my time being an anime fan, going to sort of um, Blu-ray and DVD stores. I think there is. It's, it's not necessarily something nearly as ingrained as a Naruto or a Bleach or something that is in the anime zeitgeist, but I think Girl Who Left for Time is fondly remembered in people who really appreciate anime films in particular.
1: I couldn't agree more you said it all there. Uh, the only thing I think I could possibly add is that uh, it's consistently included among anime must-watch films, mm. uh, must-watch film lists, and I think it's there for
0: good reason. It's so excessive It's very good for getting an artsy indie film individual into the medium. Yeah, Mamoru Soto would be like the go-to director. Absolutely. That kind of, like, get get those that, those hip uh, those hip letterboxed A twenty four kids into our degenerate hobby, and then we'll and then we'll show them. Do you love your mum and her two multi-target hit attacks or what? Whatever. Then we'll just leave them in a basement. <laughs> that's for me. That's that's for making fun of me in high school. Um. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing more to add. No, about. not really. I mean, the last thing I'll say is that uh, this June we'll be doing something slightly different. Next episode we'll begin our Ghibli June, where for four weeks we will take four select Studio Ghibli films. Me and Vic will be um holding the fort whilst Gabe recovers in his hyperbolic time chamber of work. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> he recovers. At work. Yes. It's really him dying at work.
0: <laughs> Look, um, if anything, he's just, he's doing what a good Japanese citizen <laughs> should do oh, killing God. himself for the sake of his livelihood. But anyway, this has been the Garugamesh Podcast. Uh, feel free to follow us on twitter.com at Garugamesh Pod. Write to us at our Gmail. I really want to um, get Q&As going there at uh, Garugamesh uh, Pod at gmail.com. And uh, remember, I love sushi. I love Japan. And I love you more for staying a fan. Guru Gamesh! Mm, Too late to give you back. My receipt is gone. And I'm starting to look back at everything that's going wrong. Know oh, how I used to long hold you in my hand. Such a shame it took six weeks shipping directly from Japan. Not gonna lie, you were Kawaii, but now your paint job's chipped away. Muyo Moe Blues, my plastic wife. Your shining glass once put my family in strife. For what I owe to you, I swear I could die. All this body pillows I left hanging dry. Oh, darling, we're a mess. Listening to Garuga Mass.